been meaning to do this for a couple of weeks now, and uh, I was hoping to have Lynn here with me to be able to do it, but uh, she's still not very well at all. So if you could continue to pray for it, that would be brilliant. I just want to thank you all for the prayers and for the practical support which has been given to Lynn and I since 28th of November. That's when it happened. That's when I went up in the air and came down and uh, wondered what on earth was going on. I'd love to say it's, it's totally cleared up, but it's still niggling away there at the moment. So if you want to pray specifically, pay for my uh, fourth or fifth rib on my right-hand side, that it would stop being irritating and would sort itself out. But we do really appreciate everything that uh, everyone has done. Those of you that have prayed, those that have supported us practically, Someone came round and uh, we had two lights going in the kitchen. And we got these spotlights and it was very dull and horrible. And they just did no more than go downtown and got two more spotlights and popped them in for us. So we, we at least had brightness in the kitchen if it wasn't in our hearts. And that was great. And some of you have made meals for us as well, which was great. And we have really appreciated all the love, care and support which you've given to us. It has really blessed us. Um, the second very quick thing is, before January disappears, the Christmas collection for money instead of Christmas cards that you send out to each other, you all very generously donated £264 to that, which was brilliant. John and I, as you probably are aware, haven't met for a few weeks, but I think before we had the incident on 28th of November... Uh, we did sort of talk briefly about donating that to um, the night shelter. So that's where we will be, be sending that. And we'll probably be putting some from a little goes a long way towards it to make it up into a nice round figure. And uh, I'm sure they will appreciate it. If not for this year, then certainly as a start towards next year. So that's brilliant. Seems strange to be preaching my last sermon as leader of the church. Because next week... The mantle moves over to John. Alex really has said a lot of what I want to say, so I'll sit down, shall I? But, uh, <laughs> but no, it's, uh, it's about that transfer of the cloak of authority as happened with Elijah and Elisha. Don't ask me which way it happened, I can't remember. But one of them handed the cloak of authority over to the other. And that's what's going to happen. Not in any physical sense, but certainly in a spiritual sense, that's what's going to happen next week. And it's been a real privilege to work with John over the last three years to, uh, to, make the, to reach this point. It hadn't all been smooth sailing. John will tell you that as much as I will, but that's good. Because in, the, in some of the disagreements, there's been growth. Not that there's been many, but it's a time of growth when that happens. And it's, it's really grow, grown our relationship together and hopefully our relationship with God as well. What I want to talk to you today about is God's mission field. Because one of the things that's going to happen in 2019, I'm sure, is that we are going to go out there into the mission field and spread God's word to those people out there that are coming into these new houses and to those people who are already on this estate. There's a big enough mission field on this estate without moving out onto the others. But God's given us both, so that's exciting. And I want to read from Jonah, perhaps not the most obvious place to talk about mission field, although hopefully... By the end of it, you'll know why I've chosen Jonah. Jonah 3, verses 1 to 10. The Lord spoke his word to Jonah again and said, Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach to it what I tell you to say. Pretty direct order. So Jonah obeyed the Lord and got up and went to Nineveh. It was a very large city. 
just to walk across it took a person three days. After Jonah had entered the city and walked for one day, he preached to the people saying, After 40 days Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God. They announced that they would stop eating for a while and they put on rough cloth to show their sadness. All the people in the city did this, from the most important to the least important. When the king of Nineveh heard this news, he got up from his throne, took off his robe and covered himself with rough cloth and sat in ashes to show how upset he was. He sent this announcement throughout Nineveh. By command of the king and his important men, no person or animal, herd or flock will be allowed to taste anything. Do not let them eat food or drink water. But every person and animal should be covered with rough cloth and people should cry loudly to God. Everyone must turn away from evil living and stop doing harm all the time. Who knows, maybe God will change his mind. Maybe he will stop being angry and then we will not die. When God saw what the people did, that they had stopped doing evil, he changed his mind and did not do what he had warned. He did not punish them. Sometimes God wants us to do things for him that we do not particularly relish. To put the above scripture into context, God had told Jonah to go to Nineveh and warn them of his coming judgment upon them. Jonah, who hated the Ninevites for what they were doing to his people, did not want to, with some justification. If you read some historical accounts of what the Ninevites were doing to the Israelites, it is pretty gruesome. I'll not give you details now, but if you go away and read some history books on it, you'll see that they were pretty evil, horrible, destructive people and the tortures which they used were pretty barbaric. And because of this, Jonah didn't want to go and tell them the message which God was giving him, because he feared that they would repent, and God would relent. So he ran away instead. story is well known. Jonah ran to Joppa to catch a ship to Tarshish to run away from God. God, however, caused a big storm, such that the boat was in danger of sinking. Jonah, knowing what this was about, had told the crew that he was running from God, and told them to throw him overboard, and the sea would calm down. At first they tried to row the boat to safety, but when they saw that that was useless, they reluctantly did as Jonah asked, and threw him overboard. Immediately the sea became calm again, and it's interesting to note that as a byproduct of Jonah's rebellion against God, the crew all turned to God in repentance and asked for forgiveness. We know that Jonah was swallowed by a large fish where he remained for three days and nights, And whilst there, he prayed to God, promising to praise and thank him and keep his promises to him. God then commanded the fish to disgorge Jonah onto dry land. There then follows the above scripture, where we see Jonah finally obeying God's command to him after realizing he had nowhere to run to. So what can we learn from this? As we move into 2019, a year when changes will happen in NCF, as John moves into his ministry of leading the church next week and starts to ring about the vision which God has laid on his heart for NCF for the next few years. We, as a congregation, need to pray for, support, love and nurture both John and Jill. It's important for us to realise, as John pointed out last week, that this is not about John listening to God and putting in place what he believes God is saying, although, of course, that is an important part of his ministry. But he needs us to work alongside and support him, to encourage him, to feed into him anything we believe God is saying to us about the future of NCF, for him to weigh along with the other leaders. It will not always be easy, 
as we are exhorted in Hebrews 13:17 in the Amplified Version, obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them, recognizing their authority over you, for they are keeping watch over your souls and continually guarding your spiritual welfare as those who will give an account of their stewardship of you. Let them do this with joy and not with grief and groans, for this would be of no benefit to you. John will have to give an account of his stewardship of NCF in due course to God, just as Nick and I will. And part of our responsibility to John is to make his task a joyful one, and not one that causes him grief. That's not to say we can't have a different point of view and express it, but we need to do so in grace and love and in submission to John's God-given authority, knowing that he will ultimately account to God for the decisions which he makes. I know that one of the things on John's heart is mission to those around us, both on this existing estate and on the new estates which are springing up all around. Part of our responsibility as a congregation is to prepare ourselves as God's people to serve God and John as he envisions that. Some of you might be saying, not me. I'm not good enough. I haven't the right gifting. I'm not ready. Let me say firstly, and perhaps most importantly, God uses flawed people who are still very much in the process of maturing. God uses flawed people. That, I would suggest, is every one of us. So if you're feeling that you're not good enough yet to be used by God, you're probably right. But God wants to use you anyway. The Bible is littered with examples of people who shrank back from their calling because they felt inadequate. Moses, with his stammering lips, and Jeremiah, who felt like a child doing a man's work, are just two examples. Yet both are effective in the work God called them to, because those whom God calls, he also equips. Mission, reaching out to those around us as God directs, is about the mobilization not of highly trained presenters, but of profoundly ordinary works in progress. People like you and me. Henry Beecher once said, The church is not a gallery for the exhibition of eminent Christians, but a school for the education of imperfect ones. I'll say that again. The church is not a gallery for the exhibition of eminent Christians, but a school for the education of imperfect ones. If you're feeling inadequate to be used by God, then join the club, join the rest of us. In our own strength, we will never be ready to be used by God. But if we submit ourselves to him and allow him in his strength to develop our giftings and talents, then in our weakness, he is strong and will provide everything we need for us to use those giftings to advance his kingdom here on this estate and wherever he wants us to. We just need to trust him and to obey his leading. Secondly, we need to go out and get them. As most of you know, I used to spend most of my days off fishing with my son Anthony. Unfortunately, due to recurring cellulitis on doctor's orders, I can no longer do it because the midges on the riverbank are not conducive to my cellulitis. But the one thing we did not do is lay out the landing net on the bank and expect the fish to jump into it. Oh, that I wish we could have sometimes. But no, we had to set up our tackle and spend time and effort in the hope of catching that elusive fish. Sometimes we even caught one or two. And there's quite a thrill for those of us who go fishing. Some of you think they're just... (laughs) Jack's one of those. (laughs) 
I could take Dominic fishing and he loves it, but if I take Jack, as soon as the fish comes out of water, he's all... But for those who enjoy it, there is quite a thrill when you catch something of size. I think my biggest one was probably about that big. <laughs> uh, similarly, we as Christians can hope and pray that people will arrive in church on Sundays. But almost invariably, God tells us, as he did Jonah, to go out to the people and invite them in. Indeed, statistics show that well over 70% of new people coming into church do so by personal invitation from a friend or neighbour. Over 70%. I think from hearing a gospel message preached from a sermon, the figure is something like 4%. 70%, over 70%, come from personal invitation. So we need to develop those relationships we have with non-Christians, not to score points by bringing them into church, but when the time is right, and God will guide you if you let him as part of that friendship, not as a goal to be ticked off, as I say, but out of love and care for that individual. After all, don't you owe it to them to give them an opportunity to hear the good news and make a decision for themselves? If we don't do that, the alternative for them is pretty dire. So we have an obligation almost, if we value our friendship at all, to take the opportunity when God gives it to share the good news with them. That's all we need to do. They then themselves can decide which route they want to take. But we will have carried out our God-given requirement to share the good news with them. We as a church have spent time in 2018 praying on the streets of St Nicholas Park and on the new estates that have come up already. And I know that some of you go out on a regular basis and we hope that this will be repeated during 2019. This involves us in time and commitment and an unconditional desire to get alongside people, something we should be willing and eager to do if we're going to build God's kingdom. The Bible is littered with such stories, the Good Samaritan being perhaps the best-known example. Are you prepared to extend the unconditional hand of Christian fellowship to those around you who do not know Christ as their saviour? Thirdly, we need to accept those whom God brings us alongside. You may recall the story I recounted not that long ago, given to me by Phyllis, which really struck me, of the pastor who sat outside his church, disguised as a tramp, and waited to see how the congregation reacted to him. And then he walked into the church and sat alongside people to get their reaction before taking off his disguise and speaking to them about how God accepts everyone, warts and all, into his kingdom. The reaction in that church, we're told, was pretty good. And people did speak to him, offered to give him a meal, offered to take him home and give him some warm clothing. How would we react if someone genuinely walked into NCF in similar circumstances? Would we be as caring and as loving? If church has become a clique, a clan gathering of people of similar classes and backgrounds that are suddenly invaded by people of a different ilk, then the unity of that church can be severely tested. We need to be aware of that and ensure that we all maintain open minds and hearts to accept whoever God sends to us. That's not to say we're not to use discernment as well, because sadly there are occasions where people come along and try to rip off the church for want of a better expression. So we need to be careful, but we most of all need to be open to receiving people in. As we go out onto the streets, as we've been doing, and invite people to come to church, it may well be that people we may not particularly like the look of 
will come through our doors in the future. Are we, I will repeat, as Jesus was, prepared to love the unlovely? How big is the heart of our church to love those around us, regardless of their background? Fourthly, there are times where we need to share and speak out the good news of the Christian message to those around us. We need to be sure that it is what God is telling us to do, and to do it with respect, tact, and God-given words. God's message to Jonah was very clear. Go to Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. If we're listening to him in our daily lives and prayer times, he will do the same for us, and we will know in our spirit when to speak out effectively the good news, and sometimes when to remain silent and wait for another time. And finally, we need to live out the message which we're preaching. It's been said several times in this church, if we walk the t- talk the talk, are we prepared to walk the walk? St. Francis of Assisi said, it's no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. People need to see us living out our faith in our everyday lives. It's no good giving one impression on a Sunday and then living the rest of the week as citizens of the world. If we want to see people saved for God, then they need to be able to see us, see in us a difference from what they see in the rest of the world. God wants our total commitment, not just a bit now and then. He knows, however, that we will fail, but he is prepared in his grace and mercy to work with us, to slowly bring us to a better place where we can be more effective for him. Jeff Lucas, that well-known Christian author, once said, Years ago, I used to tell people who weren't Christians and accused the church of hypocrisy, don't look at the church, look at Jesus. I now realize that I was very wrong. First of all, Jesus is invisible and therefore not easy to look at. A good point, I think. Secondly, the church has been created as a working model of kingdom life. God wants people to be able to look at us as the church and see Jesus. God wants people to be able to look at us and see Jesus. Quite a responsibility. Are you, am I, up to that task? The answer is in God's strength we are. In our own strength we will fail. So we need to continue to look towards God and towards Jesus for our strength and for our building up. Let's pray. Father, in this Christian walk of ours, you never said that we would be spared the hurt and pain of everyday life. You did, however, promise that you would be there beside us in those times. Father, as we live our lives for you, help us to shine as beacons for you in this dark world. Help us to hear your voice when you call us to go. And Father, if we run away the first time you call, please call us again, as you did Jonah, and give us your strength to be obedient to that calling. As your church here on this estate and on the estates around us. Lord, please help us to live our lives as a church and individuals so that when people come in for the first time, they will be able to say, surely God is in this place. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.